This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. It's quite possible for pastors to do things that are wrong and evil and inappropriate and not from the Lord. And so just by having this position of being the minister of God, it doesn't mean that everything you do is approved by God. You see, what's being established here is God's expectation that his people are a support and a blessing to government. That's the concept. God is saying they're not only an authority, but they're my ministers. I'm using them. I have a purpose for them. Pastors and other spiritual leaders are always held to living out God's Word more strictly than others. And anyone in leadership needs to live according to God's Word to properly lead anyone under their authority. But when you look at leadership in government today, do you see humility in following God's Word? As you'll get to see today with Pastor Cody, just as much as leaders are to live how God wants them to, everyone under them should also be praying for those leaders so they can lead properly. Now, Turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 13 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. Romans 13, 1 through 7. So here's a question I want to ask you as we start off today. What are the two things they tell you you're never supposed to discuss? Politics and religion. Well, guess what we're talking about today? politics, and religion. This is a well-known saying because these two topics can be highly explosive. Anybody have a conversation that went real south real fast? (laughs) It's probably involving religion or politics. Have you used social media? Uh, Then you've been attacked on these two issues. Religion and politics have two primary things in common that make them especially volatile subjects for most people, and therefore we typically avoid them. And and what I want to encourage us with is we shouldn't avoid these subjects. We should just learn how to have a civil discussion around these subjects, all right? And so the reason that this is true for most people, two primary reasons is, number one, most people reach their conclusions based on an emotion and not based on information, logic, or reason. This is how most people reach conclusions, You probably have reached conclusions in your life about different things that are more emotional than they are filled with reason. Bible interpretation and political positions today are all about how you feel or how you perceive they feel. That's how people interpret the Bible, and that's how people take political positions. All right, This is the way that people do this. So number one, most people do that based on emotion. And the second reason that these two, religion and politics, are volatile subjects is because most people live in an echo chamber where they only hear their own opinion. They don't hear an opposing view. They don't even look for other people with different views to logically support what they think and what they believe. They don't want to know it. For me, if I have a view, I want to know what the other side's view is and what their best argument is for it. Because I'm not interested in me being right. I'm interested in what is right. And so what happens is most people don't do this. Their Bible interpretation and political positions are all about what they want to be true and not what's actually real. That's why religion and politics are such explosive, volatile subjects. People just want to be told what they already believe instead of find out what's really, really true. So are you offended yet? (laughs) Not yet? There's more time. Uh, Don't wait. We'll get... 
If you haven't been offended yet, you might today. All right, so here's our big idea. Governmental authority is God-given authority, and Christians have a role to play, all right? Governmental authority is God-given authority, and Christians have a role to play. Romans 13, 1 through 7 is where we're going to be. So let's read that, and then we will break it down together. Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs fear, to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Today we're going to look at Romans 13, 1 through 7 in three parts, all right? Verses 1 and 2, the government's source. 3 through 4, government's role, and then 5 through 7, government's honor. Now here in Romans chapter uh, 13, we're in the middle of the fifth division in the book of Romans. We've divided Romans into five, or well, actually six parts. There's a conclusion at the end. But we're in the fifth division, chapters 12 through 15. And what this section is all about is addressing the will of of God. And what we've seen is that as we travel through this and what we'll continue to see today is that each section in these chapters look at God's will from different angles. So we're taking God's will and we're saying, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? What is God's will concerning these different things in life? Now, if you were with us last week, Romans chapter 12 ends with this idea in verses 18 and 19 that we should seek to live at peace with everyone and let God worry about vengeance. And while we look at that and we understand that and we appreciate that, that should actually bring up a natural question. What about bad guys who do bad things? I mean, if somebody, you know, breaks into your home and you sneak up behind them with a frying pan because you didn't buy a shotgun and you hit them on the back of the head and they are knocked out on the ground, do you call the police or do you just say, you know what, I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to not seek vengeance and so I'm just going to let you free this time, bad guy. You're so graciously given an opportunity by me because I'm a Christian. No, you call the cops, right? Like, you don't just let them go because you are a Christian. It is basically this teaching in Romans 12. Is it saying that being passive is being godly? Absolutely not. That's not what's being taught here at all. You see, passively allowing evil is not a virtue. That's not a good thing. That's not something we hold up and say, you know what, I'm just going to be passive and I'm just going to let evil run rampant. I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. That's not a virtue. That's cowardice. That's what that is. Think about it like this. If a bad guy seeks to harm my wife and girls and I just sit back and misquote Romans 12, 18 and say, you know, part of Romans 12, 18 says, live peaceably with all men. This bad guy wants to do bad things to my wife and kids. I guess I'm just going to let him. That makes me a coward. That doesn't make me virtuous. That makes me abdicate my responsibility for protection of my family. 
not someone who is holding up something that is good and godly and honorable. So Romans 13, 1 through 7 is one way that God provides for us not to take revenge into our own hands, not to take vengeance into our own hands, because he has designed a way to deal with it. And God's plan and structure is human government human authority. This is part of the way that God has designed this. All right. So verses one through two in our first division today is this government's source. Look back at verse one of chapter 13. It says this, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Here's the key concept to grasp in this entire idea. Here's the key concept. There is no authority except from God. If you don't get that idea, then you don't understand this section and you don't understand how authority works at all. And this works as we're going to be targeting primarily the idea of governmental authority, but this works in every single layer and level of authority. Uh, If you have children, you're in a position of authority. If you are a man in your home and you have a wife and or children, then you are in a position of authority. If you have people who report to you at work, you're in a position of authority. And on and on it goes, up the chain of command, even to civil authority like mayors and governors and national leadership and all that kind of stuff, all right? So the issue here is that we've got to understand that it's from God. You see, all the understanding and application about authority and power is anchored in this singular thought. Here's the thing. There's only one authority. There's only one authority, and it's God. No one is given power or position to themselves. Everyone who's in a position of authority has been placed there by God. Isn't that what it says there? All authorities that exist are appointed by God. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to know this, but the word all, it means all. That's what it really means. Every position of authority has been positioned by God. Here's what this means. All human authority is borrowed authority. That's what it means. It's actually God's authority being given to or gifted to or on loan to people. That primary thought has to drive everything that we think about with authority. Now, here's some things to grasp within this. God-given authority is not always God-submitted authority. Isn't that true? Just because someone has been given authority doesn't mean they're submitting to the Lord. And what this results in is an abuse and misuse of power. And that's not God's fault, right? Some of you, when I said all authority is God's authority, you're like, but what about? And you start filling in the blank with all of these bad things and bad people and bad stuff that's taking place. Is God at fault for that? Absolutely not. No, because they are misusing the authority God has given them. They're responsible for what they do with God's authority. Just because God has allowed them to have that place where he's placed them in that position, that doesn't mean that everything they do is rubber stamped by God as what should be. Proverbs 29.2 says this, When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. Isn't that true? When the godly are in authority, when they seek what is good, when they allow people to live their lives in uh, peace and in freedom, there's just this overwhelming sense of people rejoicing in the things that are good. But when the wicked are in authority, 
when they have the power, they grow. Now, it may not seem like that at the beginning because sometimes the wicked get in power and people are like, yay, and then it gets bad for everybody real fast. Now, God-given authority is, number one, it's not always God-submitted authority and it's not always God-blessed authority, right? Here's the idea. There are times when God will actually place people in positions of authority and leadership because it's a punishment, not a blessing, God is saying, here's the leader you deserve. And that's what takes place as well from the Lord. Uh, when those in authority forget that they are accountable to God, they have the tendency to set themselves up as God. They'll take his position. That's really easy to see in governmental authority positions, but that works in your home as well. When you don't understand that the authority that you have is given to you by God and you are accountable to God for that authority, then you will take God's place. That's what you'll try to do. Authority is only rightly used when those in authority see themselves as under God's authority and accountable to him for it. That's the only time when authority is rightly used. Look at verse 2. It says this, Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. When we rightly understand that all authority is God's authority, then it positions us where we belong. That all authority is God's authority, therefore we are positioned correctly because we understand that reality. We are able to be submissive, belonging under Him, and that allows us to be under them, those who are in positions of authority. Now there are two words in these uh, opening verses of chapter 13 that describe the right attitude and actions of those who are under authority. I don't care who you are, I don't care where you're from, I don't care what position you have, you are not just in authority, you are all also under authority. And for many of us, we're not just under one authority. There are lots of layers of authority that we are under. And so it's important for us to grasp this idea that being under that authority is actually being under the Lord. And as we grasp that, it gives us a couple of thoughts. Now, here's this idea that there are these two words. One of them is a positive, one of them is in the negative. The first one's in verse one. Notice it says there, let every soul be subject. Subject to. This word in Greek is hupotasso. It means to line up under. Okay? To line up under. It's a military term is how it was used in this day uh, for just talking about chain of command. You know, when there's a military action taking place, those who have more stripes get more say, right? And so they get to say, well, I'm in command, so you do what I say. That's the way it's in a military term. In a civilian kind of a context in this day, it was used as an attitude of a voluntary willingness to help carry a load. You say, hey, I'll help you. You know, it's like, you ever have that friend that's like, hey, I want a, this uh, piano. And you're like, I, my truck's broken. I heard a guy say that this morning. Sorry, I can't. I can't help you. But being willing to volunteer yourself to help carry a load. And so that's the idea there. Now, this same word, hupotasso, it's used in Ephesians chapter 5. And here in Romans 13, it's translated subject. But in Ephesians chapter 5, it's translated submit. It's one of those curse words that ladies don't like to hear. Wives, submit to your husbands, right? And and if you've been with us through Ephesians, then you know that that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, submit like UFC, like choke out. Uh, it's a different kind of submission that's taking place there. It's the same concept. So what's being said here, and I love this idea, is that the husband-wife relationship and the submission there, it's the same kind of idea that is used in positions of authority and governmental leadership 
as well. It's the same basic structure in interpersonal relationships, organizational relationships at home and that kind of stuff. Interpersonal is at home, organizational like in a business sense, in a business setting as well as civil government and that kind of stuff. So there's a general lining up under, there's a sense in which I'm coming underneath those who have been placed in positions of authority over me. And then verse two, there's another word and this one's in the negative and it says, whoever resists. Do you see that? The word resists. Now, this word in Greek is antitasso. So I'm not a Greek guy. I don't know Greek things. Uh, but it seems to me like these words are sort of like used in wordplay. You've got hupatasso and antitasso. So it seems like he's using these words on purpose to say you can do one or you can do the other. You can submit or you can be at war against is the concept. It's to take up arms against, to range in battle against. It's the opposing idea of being subject. Instead of submitting, you're fighting. Here's how Skip Heitzig says it. God is honored when his earthly representatives are seen as stabilizers in a society, not rebels. The central issue here is basic. A good Christian is a good civilian. That's just the basic concept here. Your submission or rebellion has less to do with your relationship with your government, hear me on this, and a lot more to do with your relationship with God. When your relationship with God is right, then your relationship to government is going to be right as well. That doesn't mean you have to like everything that is done. You know, it doesn't mean you have to, this is my best friend who's running for office. It's not what that means. What it means is that I have this submissive heart. I want to be a blessing to them. I just want to be in this position of being a good citizen. All right, so secondly, not only government source, that it's from God, but government's role, verses 3 through 4. Look at verse 3. It says this, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. You see, God has not only given authority to rulers, and see it there in verse 3, to the rulers, but... He also has an expectation for the way that they use their authority. That he says, here, I've given you this authority and I want you to use it for something. And the way that you use it really matters. It's like when Micah and I decide, hey, we're going to go out and uh, we're going to go on a date. We're, we're in a new season of life where we don't have to hire babysitters. Parents of young kids, there's coming a day. You're in a season. You can survive. There will be a day where you'll leave and you'll just go, I don't care, right? Um, it's going to happen, okay? So so hold on. I know them diapers, it's a lot of changing and, you know, you'll get a raise when you stop buying diapers. It's crazy. Um, what's that? Oh, yeah. They get older than if you have girls, you have to buy makeup. And so then you're in debt. So um, it's the other way around my wife and four girls. So when Micah and I leave, sometimes we'll just leave. There's times when we'll just, we're like, you know what? You guys are crazy. We're going to go get coffee. And uh, so we just leave. And what we do is we leave someone in charge, typically the oldest. Uh, and so we say, hey, you're in charge. And when we leave and we place her in authority, she doesn't have her own authority. She has our authority, right? She carries our authority. Now, does that mean that she can break out the whips and boards and start beating up on her sisters? She might want to. Sometimes there are some fights that break out because, you know, there's rebellion bound up in the heart of kids and, you know, whatever. And so there's sometimes where it's rough. But here's the thing. She's carrying our authority. 
And we expect her to do what we want her to do. Not to use the authority and do whatever she wants to do. There's an expectation that as the authority is given, that it's used right. It's used correctly. It represents us well. This is the same concept with God and government. God has given authority to government and he has an expectation of what they do with it. They don't get to just do whatever they want. They're not in ultimate authority. They are not God. And I wish some of them would realize that, right? Like, hey, take it easy. You're not God. Uh, you've got to come back down and realize that there's an expectation for how you use your authority. Notice what it says there in verse 4. For he is God's minister to you. And then down in the middle, he's God's minister. Also in verse 6, it says again three times in these verses that government is seen as God's minister. This is the same word as the word deacon that we get in the Bible. It's diakonos. In Greek, it's the word we get deacon, which is where we have a position uh, within the church of those who shoulder the responsibility of serving on a leadership kind of a level. Now, in a very real sense, every single Christian is commissioned into this position of deacon to be a servant. That's all it means, to serve, one who serves. And in another sense, there's a position of leadership that's there. What this is saying is essentially that government offices and governmental officials are just as much ministers as pastors are. Is that a weird thought for you? It's a weird thought for me too. (laughs) That's a strange concept, but that's the way God says it. These people in positions of authority are ministers. They are my ministers, God is saying. Now, let me ask you a question. Has any government official ever used their authority for evil? Yes is the right answer, right? Now, this is not saying that everything government does is approved by God. That's not what the, by God saying they're my ministers, that's not saying everything they do is approved by God any more than everything a pastor does is approved by God. It's quite possible for pastors to do things that are wrong and evil and inappropriate and not from the Lord. And so just by having this position of being the minister of God, it doesn't mean that everything you do is approved by God. You see, what's being established here is God's expectation that his people are a support and a blessing to government. That's the concept. God is saying they're not only in authority, but they're my ministers. I'm using them. I have a purpose for them. David Guzik says it like this. Christians should be the best citizens. We should be the most honest. We should be the most loyal. We should give no trouble to the state. We should pay our taxes, as Paul's about to explain in a few moments here in this section. We should pray for the state. We should pray for the rulers. We should be the best friend that the government ever has because we are good citizens, because we are Christians. When you are a believer in Christ, the natural result is you're the model citizen. That everything about what you do and how you live and the way you are, they should have no trouble with you. The state, our mayor, our uh, governor should look at us as a church and say, I wish I had more people like you. I wish there were more people who just generally followed the rules. They just generally did what was right. They weren't murdering one another. They weren't selling drugs. They weren't uh, out trying to run people off the road with their vehicles. They weren't, you know, whatever it is that's going on. There's just this general concept that the government can look toward the church and say, gosh, you guys are so great. I'm so glad you're here. You're such a positive influence in our city because of the way that you live and the things that you do. Now, God, as he lends his authority to human government, he does so for three 
specific objectives. God has three specific objectives that he's aiming at by lending his authority to those who are in governmental positions. Number one is protection. Look at verse 3. It says this, uh, that rulers are not a terror to good works. Now there's a contrast. Notice it says, not a terror to good works, but to evil. So there's a purpose here, a contrast here is for protection that displays God's intention for government to protect and promote what is good. God expects government to do this. I've given you authority to protect and promote what is good. And again, let me remind you, this translates into your business. This translates into your family. You've been listening to Redemption Radio. Thanks for joining Pastor Cody King in this chapter-by-chapter, verse-by-verse study of the Book of Romans. We pray today's teaching has both inspired and challenged you in your faith. We also hope that you'll be eager to study God's Word on your own. If you'd like to listen to this message again or hear more from this Romans series, feel free to visit redemptioncalvary.org. Once you're there, just click on the Sermon tab at the top of the page. There, you'll find an archive of previous messages. Redemption Radio is a ministry of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. We're passionate about preaching and teaching God's Word with the utmost integrity. We meet together at 11 a.m. each Sunday. And if you're in or near the area, we'd love to have you join us. You can find all the information you need, including directions, at redemptioncalvary.org. Again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you're unable to meet with us in person, no worries. We live stream our services on Facebook and YouTube. If you have any questions about who we are or about today's teaching, don't hesitate to give us a call at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. Thanks for being a part of today's listening audience. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single edition of Redemption Radio.